The Eagle and Child, Episode 23. Mere Christianity, Book 3, Chapter 10. Hope. Hello, and welcome to The Eagle and Child, the hallowed pub of the Inklings. This is a podcast where each week, my friend Matt and I share a beer, and we discuss the writings of the author known to the world as Clive Staples Lewis, or C.S. Lewis, or just as Jack to his friends. My name is David, and last week we were looking at the virtue of charity, and today we're going to look at another theological virtue with my co-host, with whom I hope one day to share a nice fluffy cloud with in heaven, Matt. In that moment, I hope we can be sitting in that cloud with Jack. <laughs> Think about that. With Having a, a pipe. A pipe. I was thinking a glass of scotch. That's Maybe it. I'm going to say, if we're up there, God, can, can I have some account 25? <laughs> Or from the James Bond movie, McCallum's 60. I think that's 10000 We're living in eternity. And maybe we could go for far longer. <laughs> oh, I like that. McCallum eternal. Oh, that would be so good. But anyways, I mean, I'd like to be sitting there with him and just telling him what an amazing impact he had on my life. If you were there, what would you tell him? I was thinking about, by the way, uh, it crossed my mind right before I said this, should I ask, what would you ask, Lewis? But we're going to be in heaven and it's ultimate truth. So there's not really many questions left true but we don't know the means by which we would start to receive this truth maybe it is from just talking to the saints uh, well if that's the case then what would you ask them if you prefer that question your face looks like a little boy i'm sitting in front of a lewis oh my goodness the pressure of this <laughs> uh, I, would, I would ask him if he wanted a top up and we would pour some more scotch and just 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 enjoy eternity together Good answer. Thank you. <laughs> Actually, one of my friends is in Oxford at the moment, and he's touring all the Lewis sites. He's been to the, the kilns where he lived, mm -hmm. uh, to his graveside, to the church that he went to, to various places in Oxford and Cambridge where he taught. Well, actually, you just said you're going there potentially at the end of summer. Mm -hmm. I have a friend who she just started her job in London. I told her I have to come visit her. And... So then I can go to Oxford, obviously. <laughs> she goes, ah, you know, whatever gets you over here. Um, but yeah, maybe I should time that when you're there. We could go to the Eagle and Child and have a real pint. How amazing would that be? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm like 20% serious right now. Cool. Yeah. I'm down. Well, we probably should jump into the chapter. So are you excited about this chapter? I actually am. Uh, surprise, surprise. <laughs> surprise, surprise. I'm excited about a lot of them. Charity, I would say I was a little bit more excited about charity, but this one, what I'm excited about is my personal story relates to it very much. So maybe we'll get a chance to talk about that a little bit without extending the length of the episode. <laughs> but as the listeners, if they haven't put together yet fully, we're going to be jumping into the theological virtue of hope. And the question we're going to be pondering is why do we place so much hope in things of this world and all of them seem to fall short of what we expect? And therefore... How do we respond to that? And what can we learn from it? And this is my favorite chapter of the whole book. I'm, I've, I've, you've got to pick one. I'm going to say this is mine. You're good about not putting your stamp. I've probably said this about 20 so far. <laughs> and we're 25 in. So people trust David a lot more than trust me on this. Well, also, if any of you listened to my Theology on Tap talk that I gave recently about my own journey, you'll know that I quote from this chapter quite a bit. You do. It was a good talk, by the way. Oh, shucks. Let's just move on. What's the quote today? <laughs> You're going to like this one. It's from C.S. Lewis's book, Till We Have Faces. He says, The sweetest thing in all my life has been the longing to reach the mountain, to find the place where all the beauty came from. 
my country, the place where I ought to have been born. Do you think it all meant nothing, all the longing, the longing for home? For indeed, it now feels not like going, but like going back. I like this because we're going to be talking about hope, hoping for heaven, longing for heaven. And this is so much about, that's what we're trying to go home to. Excellent. Excellent. That's especially excellent. <laughs> well, what are we drinking today? Today we are drinking more donations from Megan and Rachel. We are now drinking... They are 0 for 1 in my book right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think this will prob- you'll probably enjoy this one a little bit more than the uh, Shock Top. This is yeah, the... the fruity grapefruit Shock Top. Let's specify that. Shock Top regular is fantastic. We're going to be drinking Big Wave Golden Ale. All right. So I- cheers. I'm-, I'm nervous right now, by the way. <laughs> Ooh, that's actually really good. You did good, girls. Yeah, you... Nice work, Megan and Rachel. Take another sip of that. So, hope. What do we make of it? Well, according to Lewis, it's not simply wishful thinking. I think that's what a lot of people think of when they think of hope. Daydreaming in class. Mm. But hope is a virtue. Over the course of this book, we've looked at a number of different virtues like prudence, temperance. And last week, we looked at charity which is one of the three theological virtues, faith, hope, and charity. And so by theological, we mean that it's a gift from God. Lewis says that hope isn't a form of escapism or wishful thinking. It's a continual looking forward to the eternal world. And this is one of the things that Christians are meant to do. And it doesn't mean that we ignore completely the earth. Yeah, because some people think that it just means we get to abdicate all of our responsibilities. And it's I think it's a very common uh, common complaint, or at least an attack, because I don't think it's very often based in reality. And I've heard this attack before when people are criticizing Christians and really anybody that believes in an afterlife. They say that, well, because you believe in heaven, you therefore don't care about the world at all. The belief is that, well, if I don't believe in eternal life, then I'm going to care much more about this world. And Lewis says that this is garbage. He says that actually, if you look in history, it's those who have their eyes fixed on heaven that devote themselves so much more to this world. And he gives the examples of the apostles who set about converting the Roman Empire and the great men of the Middle Ages, the evangelicals who abolished the slave trade. He said all of these people have left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. I mean, think of St. Paul. Isn't, aren't there verses in the New Testament where he, he wanted to die? He wanted to go to heaven, but he, he knew that his responsibility is here. You're thinking of uh, Philippians. So in the opening chapters, he says that both of these are good things. Because he says, if, if I die, then I get to be with Christ. But it's better for me to be here for you so I can serve you and teach and grow the church. And he sees himself as torn between these two good things, to be with Christ or to serve the church. Friends, you know what I love about David? I throw some general thought that I have that I remember reading scripture and he knows the exact book it's in and can expand it. You're like a human encyclopedia. Nah, that, this one's slightly cheating because I've done a video series on Philippians. Ah. So I went through Philippians. It's probably my favorite book of the New Testament. So I know that one rather well. Maybe that's your, your gift. You take it to the point that, that the stuff that you know really well. So that you can so make I, it I, So like... I appear more intelligent exactly. than I really am. Yeah, yeah, that works. Yeah. Anyways... So we know we're supposed to hope for heaven, but why is it so difficult to want heaven? And I actually think 
this this when I was reading this, it was reminding me of I travel back to Michigan quite frequently. I'm not the biggest fan of flying personally. I'm not like afraid of it, but when, we, when I go through turbulence, the fear of free falling to my death does really scare me. <laughs> and I whip out the rosary the second turbulence starts going. See, I purposely don't pray the rosary on planes because I don't want to freak people out. I'm fine with flying, but it's like, wait, what do you know? What have you heard? The, the woman next to me sees me. I mean, I'm blatantly <laughs> doing the sign of the cross. I got the rosary right now because it was the worst flight I've been on. One of the top two ever. It was We were going through a thunderstorm with lightning. I'm like, what is going on, dude? But anyways, I digress. But I was thinking to myself, I profess to be a very strong Christian, in love with God, in love with Jesus, love with the Holy Spirit. Shouldn't I be, shouldn't I have almost been welcoming my death? I had a saying that everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Exactly. That's exactly right. And so Lewis asks, our, asks the question, why is this the case? And he has some interesting answers. His first thought is, We've been trained for this world, and that makes sense. I mean, everything we do from when we're born is preparing for this world, preparing for our future, being able to provide, being responsible in this world. So we're, we're conditioned to think about this world. Mm-hmm. The second one, which I think is related to the above, but when the real want for heaven is present in us, we don't recognize it, which again is probably because of the improper training, which Lewis is going to fix for us right now. Mm. And this last weekend... You unfortunately weren't here, but we were reading the final chapter of The Four Loves, and we were looking at the love of charity. And one of the points that Lewis makes there is that what we see in this world that is truly beautiful was really only meant to excite our love for love himself. And when we when we Ooh, behold I like that, love himself. Yeah, when we behold the face of God, we will see in that, or at least we will see from there, all of the things that we loved in this world were merely just faint reflections of that oh isn't that related to the beatific vision Mm -hmm. and lewis points out most people if they had really learned to look into their own hearts would know that they do want and want acutely something that cannot be had in this world there are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you but they never quite keep their promise yeah and he then gives examples of some of these things he says when you first fall in love yeah, when you first think of a foreign country that you really want to visit, or when you start taking up a subject that really excites you. You remember when you first fell in love? <laughs> are we going down that path? We are not going down that path. <laughs> All right. We, we, we've... <laughs> Let's just say that Valentine's Day this day was Ash Wednesday. Very fitting. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. But, but he's right. Things of this world excite us, and they promise much more than they deliver. And this is, we're not talking about, you know, bad wives, bad jobs, bad husbands, bad holidays. We're talking about the best of all of these things. Even they seem to have fall short. Shakespeare is an incredible author, but still there comes a point when you say, is that it? Beethoven, you're moved by his music, but there still comes a point when you say, is that it? You go to a David Bates talk, your mind's blown, but at the end you still say... Is well, that it? No, 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 no. You go to a David Bates talk and it comes to an end and you just want more. <laughs> <laughs> That's another way to look at it. Yeah, thank you. So then how do we respond to this? And Lewis offers us three different ways. He offers us two bad ways and one good way. I'll take the good way. <sighs> Fine. Okay, I'll do the bad one. <laughs> so the first way that we can respond to this sort of disappointment in earthly things is to blame the things themselves. To think that if we had a different wife, that if we had a 
more exciting job, if we had a more expensive car, well, then we would be happy. But Lewis points out that we know this isn't true, and for evidence you only have to look at the gossip magazines when they talk about the rich and famous. When you see a man move from wife to wife to wife to wife, buying newer and newer things, but still that hunger, that desire within him, it's still not satisfied. Yeah, enough is never enough. Mm -hmm. There's always a better car, a bigger home, a nicer vacation, quote-unquote a better wife, but it's, it, it'll never lead that satisfaction. And I would argue this is the majority of the population falls in this. Mm -hmm. I won't go down this tangent here. Maybe we'll say this for a little later. This is my personal story mm. of experience that, but then thankfully somewhat waking up to, huh, this is like a rat race that isn't giving me any sort of fulfillment. And it's a game that I'm never going to win. That's exactly right. So that was the first way we can respond. Blame the things themselves. What's the second option? It's to become disillusioned or at least stoic. The person who chooses this option decides that it's all moonshine, that he's just got to get realistic in his assumptions. He knows that the things of this world are not going to fully satisfy him, and he just has to get on with things. And Lewis says that if a man does this, he will generally be in a better state. Yeah, essentially he'll be more content. Yeah. Uh, Lewis says that he could become a prig and talk about, you know, boyish dreams and be a little condescending, but still he'll generally get along okay. So this option would be the best if man didn't live forever. But what if he did? Lewis ends this section by saying, but supposing infinite happiness really is there waiting for us. In that case, it would be a pity to find out too late, a moment after death, that by our supposed common sense, we'd stifled in ourselves the faculty of enjoying it. Isn't that a great way to start? I mean, a question that everyone should ask constantly. Suppose infinite happiness is there. Mm -hmm. Or suppose eternity is real. I feel like we need to ask that a little bit more. But I digress. The fun one. The third way. The good way. Tell us what the good way is, Matt. No, oh, I will. It's the Christian way. I'm going to quote the next section in full because, well, it's brilliant. Mm -hmm. Because it's written by Lewis. Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well... There is a such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is a such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there is a such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. This is often called the argument from desire. And this was one of Lewis's favorite arguments for the existence of God. What I find so beautiful about this passage is it's an image in my mind of our homelessness. Whether mm -hmm. we're rich, whether we're poor, whether we're somewhere in between, we should view all of us, all of ourselves, as people, foreigners in this country, sojourning back to our homeland. And when you, when you approach life with this worldview, you, you can have a, a, an enjoyment of it, but a disconnectedness. Mm -hmm. You can start seeing ways that it falls short as signs of the beauty to come rather than as disappointments. And if you'd like a more thorough scriptural examination of this topic, as well as from the early church, and particularly the, from the epistle of Diognetus. Again, you would know the exact spot of it. Well, it's because it was in my talk that I recently gave. Mm, strategically so, chose that nice okay. work. Mm, yeah. Link will be in the show notes. But yeah, that's exactly right. When things of this world fall short, it's probably because they were never meant to completely fulfill us. 
They were signs. They were meant to be pointing us towards heaven. Yes, we don't have to be disappointed that this earth is a fraud. It's an appetizer. Exactly. I like that. So how should we regard these earthly pleasures? I've said appetizers. Well, Lewis says that it's a balancing act. Because he says, on the one hand, we must never despise or be unthankful for these earthly blessings. But at the same time, we should never mistake them for something that they're not. They are purely an echo, a copy, a mirage. And we've got to keep alive in ourselves the desire for our true country, which we're not going to find until after death. And we need to make this the main object of our life, to press on to this country and to help other people do the same. I want to point out that last part, to help others do the same. That's our calling. Mm -hmm. I forget that part a lot. That's the entire point of vocation. Yeah. When you marry somebody, your job is to get them to heaven. Wow, that's, that's quite the responsibility. Yeah, that's why you got to marry someone holy. <laughs> Make your life easier. Yeah, minimum amount of work necessary. <laughs> you would think that way. Oh. And so since Lewis has brought up the subject of heaven, he then spends the final part of this chapter responding to those who ridicule the idea. And take those verses in scripture way too literally. Lewis says, there's no need to be worried by facetious people who try to make the Christian hope of heaven ridiculous by saying that they don't want to spend eternity playing harps. This comes back to my introduction of you, you know, us sharing a cloud together sometime in heaven. Yeah, except we're not going to be playing harps. We're going to be drinking scotch and talking to Lewis. I, I, I can play the trumpet. They have trumpets in heaven. Mm, that sounds like hell. But Jack's reply is stinging. He says that people that don't understand books written for grown-ups shouldn't talk about them. Wow. He says... People who take symbols literally might as well think that when Christ told us to be like doves, he meant that we were to lay eggs. <laughs> that's like a, I kid you not, that's like a Lewis mic drop moment. <laughs> well, he then briefly breaks down some of the symbolism that the Bible uses regarding heaven. He says that it's all an attempt to express the inexpressible. So, for example, musical instruments. These are used in images of heaven because... For many people, this is one of the things in the present life which suggests ecstasy and eternity. And when you think of crowns, I think of the splendor of God, of eternity, the joy, the power being united with him. Mm, that we get to share in. Yes. And you see gold mentioned all over the place because gold doesn't rust. It's timeless. It's eternal, like heaven. It's precious. My precious. <laughs> I'm actually just in the middle of the two towers at the moment. Really? Yeah. It's really good. A lot of these images come from the book of Revelation, and a lot of people get very confused by that book. So I would just like to give a shout out to Coming Soon. It's written by Dr. Michael Barber, who recently joined the Augustine Institute. He wrote a book on the book of Revelation. It is the best, most practical commentary I have ever read. Check that out. Link in the show notes. As we bring this full circle, though, you want to share a little bit about, you know, within like one minute, the argument of desire is... Very influential in your personal journey. I mean, do you want to share any about that here? I don't know if I can do any better than Lewis has always said. That if we find within ourselves desires which we know this world cannot fulfill, well, then that points us to another world. When we think of the three transcendentals, truth, goodness, and beauty, can we ever have those enough? When you've learned one true thing, are you satisfied? No, you want to know one more true thing, and another, and another, and another. And the same is true for goodness. And the same is true for beauty. We were made for infinite truth, goodness, and beauty. We were made for God. You know, with me, personally, it was, uh, for, I was like the first example. 
the person just it, enough wasn't enough. And I thought it would be. I remember when I got into a college that I thought was reputable. I was excited. I'm going to feel happy. Then when I got to go to Oxford for the year, it was a tough program to get into at Notre Dame. I thought, this is it. This is when I'm just going to feel like I've made it. And, and I felt the worst I'd ever felt. And so at that point in time, I'm realizing striving for more, striving for accomplishments has left me more empty, more dissatisfied, more lonely. And that was one of the biggest things. And then that brought me back to Christianity because then I read Mere Christianity, which we're talking about here, and fell in love with it. I'm like, this seems like this would bring that fulfillment, that mm. peace, that contentment. And for me, there's often a question that atheists would ask is like, could you ever be an atheist now? And I used to answer yes. Now I'm just not even sure. I, I could absolutely never be. I, I just can't see how I could explain the world and myself without God. For me, it's actually little things. I was just talking to someone this week about, you hear the story of uh, St. Maximilian Colby on the Feast of the Assumption. You hear about JP2, Divine Mercy, on Divine Mercy Vigil, dying. I mean, you hear of all of these just different examples in faith. And as I've read more about them, I've read about the history of the church, I'm just blown away. There's no way these are coincidences. So yes, it was the beauty, it was the, the it was the scientific philosophical arguments that made me believe in the existence of God, the existence of Jesus Christ, the death, resurrection. It's been the beauty in what I've read, diving into it head first. There's no way I could go back. So there you go. Sorry, atheists. You're probably going to have a bad time if you try and convert us. <laughs> kind of sold out on Jesus. <laughs> anyway, as usual, the outline and links to resources will be in the show notes. We're going to be finishing off book three soon, and then we will have our much-promised mailbag episode. We've had some phenomenal emails. I'm so excited to talk a little bit about some of them. Yeah, I mean... But we're going to wait for that. Yeah. We're going to learn the virtue of patience, and we will deal with that once we finish book three. So we have two more chapters on faith. Exactly. It, it, we'll talk about in the mailbag episode, but we've had a number of emails that are just... We're incredibly grateful for you guys for even sending them because we love doing this. And to hear the positive feedback that people are providing is honestly, it's truly the, the greatest gift that you could give to us. More than beer. We appreciate <laughs> well, the affirmation. It, there's affirmation and then beer is right beneath it. It's a close second. Speaking of which, until next time. Further up. And further in. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>